Hi everyone, I'm your host Aviva Rumani, and welcome to episode 13 of Kindred Cast, Lion Tree's bi-weekly podcast featuring insights and stories from the world of tech, media, and everything in between. Today, we're pleased to present a conversation with Lion Tree executive in residence, Betsy Morgan, and John Favreau, one of the founders of Crooked Media and the co-host of their hit show, Pod Save America. The Crooked Guys are former Obama staffers who have created a new form of political podcast. They're dead serious about the issues, but never about themselves. Obviously, the political views John expresses in the interview are his own and do not necessarily reflect those of Lion Tree. It's a great conversation and stay tuned. We begin with a podcast-themed KinCast quiz question today, courtesy of Jeremy Adam. Listen to the end to see if you got it right and hear all of the details. A recent representative national survey, the Podcast Consumer 2017, reveals the podcasting habits of U.S. consumers ages 12 and over. Monthly podcast listening, that is, the percent of the population that listened to a podcast in the last month, rose from 12% in 2013 to 24% in 2017, implying there are 67 million monthly podcast listeners in the U.S. today. Additionally, in 2017, weekly podcast listeners spend an average of about five hours per week listening to podcasts. What percent of monthly podcast consumers listen to more than half of a podcast episode once they've started one? A, 86%, B, 62%, C, 41%, or D, 19%. I'm Betsy Morgan. I'm an executive in residence at Lion Tree. Listen to me talk to the talented John Favreau, part of the trifecta of political insiders that launched the record-breaking podcast, Pod Save America. Each week, John and his partners, Tommy Veter and John Lovett, deliver a recipe of politics and humor and even activism to over a million listeners. I was surprised to learn these guys are taking their podcast out on the road with a sold-out fall tour starting in October. Not bad for a couple of first-timers. And even more impressive is what they've achieved in such a short time with sponsors like Blue Apron. So listen to John tell me which shows they're launching next and why Air America failed. Look out, talk radio. There's a new game in town, and it's called Pod Save America. I'm here with John Favreau, one of the three founders of a brand new, less than a year old media company called Crooked Media. Among other things, Crooked Media produces one of the nation's most popular podcasts, Pod Save America, which averages nearly a million listeners each week. Today, Crooked Media encompasses five weekly podcasts, an events tour business, which kicks off this fall, and a growing commerce business. Video is next. In March of 2016, three friends and former prominent Obama staffers decided they wanted to talk about the issues of the 2016 election and create, for their generation, a media outlet and a better conversation that they did not believe existed anywhere else. So with the help of Bill Simmons, they created a single podcast called Keeping It 1600, and it was a huge record-breaking hit. So here's what happened next. The Keeping It 1600 podcast became Pod Save America, became a series of weekly podcasts, became an empire called Crooked Media, which is now taking 
over the world. So watch out the skim and barstool sports. There is a new Omnimedia company in town. Hey, John. What an intro. Thanks. Thanks, Betsy. (laughs) John, I'm sure you've been asked this question a thousand times. How'd you decide to name the company Crooked Media? Yeah, we thought about that for quite a while. And then we wanted a name that was evocative of the Trump era um, without completely tying ourselves to him. You know, and he'd been talking about Crooked Hillary. He'd been talking about the Crooked Media. Since then, he's mostly talked about the fake news media. He's changed it, which is fine with us. Although uh, a couple of weeks ago, he mentioned Crooked Media twice. And of course, we capitalized on that. But yeah, it seemed like it fit well. And tell me, why did you headquarter in Los Angeles and not New York or D.C.? Because aren't you guys all East Coast guys? Didn't you go to school on the East Coast? <clears throat> no, I'm from just north of Boston. Went to school at Holy Cross. Go Pats. There we go. And Tommy's from uh, Boston as well. Lovett's from New York. But I lived in D.C. for about 10 years, left the White House in March of 2013, and uh, wanted to move out to Los Angeles. I had had for some time. My brother was out here. A couple of friends were out here. And originally, when uh, Tommy and I both left the White House at the same time, and we thought we'd be screenwriters in L.A., that was our first, (laughs) uh, and that didn't really pan out. And then we started a uh, communications consulting firm. He was in San Francisco. I was in L.A. And then we did that for a couple of years. And then when we started this media company, you know, we all sort of loved the West Coast so much and loved L.A. that We wanted to stay here. We're in a liberal bubble out here in L.A., but there is sort of a media political bubble that stretches from D.C. to New York. And it's nice to be outside of that bubble because I think it gives you some perspective. Totally. Talk to me about your latest venture, the now sold out. Pod Tours America. Yeah. So you're going to leave Los Angeles and go out in the rest of the country. Tell me who you're trying to reach with your tour and how'd you pick your cities? Yeah, so we wanted to go beyond these coastal cities. And we know that a lot of our listeners are in places like DC and LA and San Francisco and Boston. And part of what we're trying to do with this media company is inspire activism and try to see what kind of impact we can have on flipping the House in 2018, on electing more Democrats up and down the ballot in state and local races. And to do that, you know, you need to go into the middle of the country and go to places where the voters are, where a lot of the swing voters are. So our first set of stops in October, the first leg of our tour, we're going to hit Madison, Wisconsin. We're doing two shows in Ann Arbor. We're going to go to Cleveland, and then we're going to end up in Chicago. So that's our Midwest tour. We also want to go to more colleges. We want to reach more young people. We want to reach people who might just be interested in politics for the very first time since Trump became president. And um, we're hoping it's a younger crowd. We're hoping it's a you know politically engaged crowd, but also sort of politically curious crowd, uh, people who are just want to know more about politics and maybe want to be involved. So this is the start of a touring and events business. Yes. We're hoping to do, uh, you know, maybe like one long weekend a month, probably like Thursday through Sunday or Monday and go to different places. So we're going to start in the Midwest. The next one will be uh, Richmond and D.C. and Philly. Then we're going to do a West Coast thing. We'll do Oakland and Sacramento. And then, you know, in 2018, we'll hit the South. We'll hit New England. We'll hit the Mountain West. And so we'll, we'll go everywhere. A lot of money to be made in the tourist business. The, yeah, we're fortunate enough that we sold out uh, some of these shows fairly quickly, and uh, we'll see how long that lasts. But while it does, we're excited to go and hit the road. It's awesome. Speaking of advocacy, how do you think about advocacy in your business? And do you want to be a business known as getting candidates elected? And can you be a, a business and have a business model and also actively advocate? 
Yeah, I think we can. I mean, I think, look, we, we're very honest about who we are, right? We are partisans. We are Obama people, right? Like we worked for Barack Obama for a long time. We're not going to hide that this is our perspective. And I do think there's a lot of political people who go into media and they feel like even though they have a background that is either left or right, Republican or Democrat, they think that to be an effective political commentator, you have to pretend that you don't have these biases. That happens on the left a lot. On the right, you have places like Fox News and Breitbart where they don't care as much. Our view is we can be honest partisans. You know where we stand. You know what our values are. You know where our issue positions are. But at the same time, we're trying to be as honest as we can. We're trying to offer facts. We're not trying to spin people. People want to have that conversation. People want to have a more refreshing, honest conversation about politics out there. I think there's a hunger for that. And if we can inspire activism as well, then that's great. I do think in this day and age, media platforms more so than some event that a politician does or a press release from a congressional office has the power to reach a lot more people. And so often when people watch political news, it seems like they see bad news about politics or they see something bad news about something going on in the world. And you watch the news and you feel helpless. Like, I, I can't do anything about that. It's just there's more bad news and then they move on to the next story and that's that. And our view is if we can tell people, well, here's an action you can take, here's a phone call you can make, then that will inspire more people to get involved. And you can also be light-spirited and funny and entertaining at the same time. Yeah, I mean, my view on this is people in political commentary take themselves too seriously and they don't take the issue seriously enough. We are trying to flip that on its head. So we don't take ourselves very seriously, as you can tell by our <laughs> podcast, but we do take the issues very seriously and we take the stakes very seriously. I think this is a golden age for political journalism right now. Mm -hmm. I think political punditry is as bad as it's ever been because it sometimes sounds phony. People use a dead language. Like I said, it's all bad news. It's all sensationalism. It treats politics only as a game. And we'd like to try to have political conversations that are fun and light, but also really serious when it comes to the issues at stake. So part of this feels like it's been started before. And <laughs> what I'm referencing is, do you have any early high school or maybe middle school memories of Air America? Yes, you know, I do. Al Franken, Montel, Rachel, my former partner, Ariana Huffington, all right. big contributors. Do you feel like that was an idea before its time or, or didn't work for other reasons? It might have been. I have to say that I was young enough when it started that I know of it, and I remember it. I remember who was on it, but I didn't really listen to it that much. Because you were home doing your homework. I was probably home doing our homework. No, we think this more as, like, we talk a lot about the first 10 minutes of The Daily Show. Jon Stewart was able to critique the news, not just politics, but critique media coverage in a way that was really funny, but also very informative. We are never going to be comedians like Jon Stewart. We're not that funny. Lovett thinks he's that funny. He, he probably is sometimes. We're not comedians that are talking about politics, but we are people with political experience who've been in politics, who've seen it up close for many years, who know how government works, who knows how politics works, who can be funny at times, who cannot take ourselves seriously. And I think that's more the model that we're trying to go for. Liberal media when it's progressive media or something, it can be a little scolding sometimes. It can be a little... And boring. Sanctimonious sometimes, a little boring sometimes. And we never want to be that. So 
our little slogan here at Cricket Media, which we just sort of stumbled upon and might sound kind of cheesy, but it's to inform, entertain, and inspire action. You know, I think it's critical to maintain the balance between all three of those things. If it's too silly and not informative enough, it doesn't work. If it's too much in the weeds on policy and wonky, but it's not funny at all, it doesn't work. And if we forget to tell people how they can help and how they can get involved, then it doesn't work. So I really always want to try to balance those three things. And right now, all your shows are weekly shows, correct? They are, yeah. And in this 24-7 news media insanity, are you feeling pressure from yourselves or from your listeners to broadcast more often? Is, is there an yeah. always-on element to Crooked's future? Maybe a lot of listeners tell us to lock yourselves in a studio for 24 hours a day and just talk about the news. And I feel the pressure myself because when I'm not podcasting, uh, anyone can tell I'm on Twitter all the time too much. And so we're trying to figure out the right outlet, the right way to do commentary more often. And I think we want to experiment. Like it could be a daily podcast. It could be more Facebook Live. It could be video. It could be written material. So we're still trying to figure out what the right mix is and what the right medium is. As we ramp up, as we hire more people, as we grow as a company, we want to figure out a way to uh, talk about the news more often. So you guys are regularly in the top 10, if not top five, in iTunes yeah. of podcasts. Do you guys obsess over your weekly iTunes ratings? And do you think about what you might need to do to beat The Daily or another podcast ahead of you? Yeah, you know what's funny is at first we obsessed about it, and you can check the number of downloads for each episode uh, on this website and uh, Art19, which is the platform that we use, and we would do that like obsessively in the beginning. And now that we're so busy and we've got other podcasts and we're trying to grow the company, we don't check it as much. And we just try to... And uh, your numbers are still great. We're now at about you know a million and a half an episode for Pod Save America, and Love It or Leave It is huge numbers. It's growing really, really fast. And Tommy and Pod Save the World as well. And DeRay's show and Anna's show. I mean, they're all growing really fast, which is great. And they all reference each other, which is a great thing that I think YouTubers have done super, super well over yeah. time. That, you know, people that listen to one are incented and interested to listen to another because you talk about the other podcasts. Yeah, we try to do that. It's a crooked media family. And we have these different podcasts because we want to reach different audiences. But we want to make sure that every podcast we launch does have something in common, and I think all of ours do. And because they all have this commonality around politics and activism and, you know, having interesting, funny, lighthearted, inspiring conversations, you know, there's a lot of shared territory there. So we want to make sure that we talk about all the other podcasts and connect to them. On the business side, right now your revenue models are advertising and commerce, merchandise. You sell merch. Right. You've got Blue Apron as a, <clears throat> as a leading sponsor on Pod Save America, which mm -hmm. is an awesome sponsor. Who's selling your advertising? How's sponsorship working at a business model? And then finally, how do your sponsors feel about your sometimes irreverent ad reads? They love it. <laughs> We've heard one or two complaints when maybe Lovett's pushed it a little too far. I won't name names. But by and large, it's been really fun with the sponsors because at first we get ad copy 
that was really sort of dry and serious. They'd send you ad copy. Yeah, and then we sort of do our own thing. And now as they know that we joke around, some of them send ad copy that's that's like funny, like Tommy John Underwear is another one of our sponsors, and now they send copy that just says, feel free to say whatever you want here. <laughs> <laughs> or like Policy Genius, which is a very serious life insurance company. Like even those guys sent us ad copy today that was really funny because they know that we demand that. We work with a company, it was called Digital Media, they just changed the name to Cadence 13. They do all of the podcast production, so they do a lot of the technical audio stuff for us, but they also sell our ads right now. They get in touch with the sponsors, and then we just read the ads. For a few of the sponsors, we have you know direct relationships with them as well, just because they've reached out, and so we have some room for that too. But by and large, uh, Cadence 13 does up most of our ad sales. And it feels like there's a long way to, to grow in terms of revenue, that there's just more and more sponsors coming on every month. Yeah, so far so good. We've been booking all these spots right up through the end of the year for most of the pods, which has been great. What's your favorite podcast that isn't one of the five? Isn't one of the five. I really like The Daily. I think that... You don't feel super competitive with The Daily? I know, I know. I know Love It does. My first reaction was to be super competitive because I thought The Daily did what people have asked us to do, which would be every morning do 10 to 15 minutes on what you need to know that day. But they didn't do that. They actually took one story each day that was in the news, that was in the New York Times, and did a deep dive. And I think it's such a great way to sort of dig into a topic or dig into a story even more than the space that you get in the New York Times to do so. And they bring on these guests. Sometimes they are the people that are reported on in the story. Sometimes they're the reporters that did the story. So I just think it's a really smart podcast. Awesome. Who's on your wish list of right-wing guests? Of right-wing guests? Yeah, conservative guests. Oh, man. I would love to have some Republican senators. We'd love to have Ben Sass on. We'd love to have... Rand Paul on the libertarian side? I would, yeah, I would talk to Rand Paul. Look, people always ask, oh, you got to have more Republicans on. We've had a bunch of never-Trumpers on, right? I am happy to talk to any Republican, any conservative who falls within sort of the reality-based community. <laughs> like, I got into this Twitter fight with Sean Hannity, and he was like, invite me on your podcast, you know, I'll come on. And I was like, I don't think there's value in having someone on the podcast who's going to say the sky is purple and I'm going to say the sky is blue and then there's like nowhere to go from there. <laughs> if someone wants to come on and argue the back and forth of budgets or tax reform or immigration or choice or anything like that and they're telling the truth but they're on their side of the issue and we're on our side, I think that's a very valuable conversation. I'm happy to have those. If I wanted a screaming, yelling conversation, I'd go on cable news and be a panelist, <laughs> which I've done before and it's never that fulfilling, you know. Right. Um, what is the thing that you believe in that others do not? Thing that you see out in the universe that maybe others don't see? I don't know that I would presume that I see anything that others don't, but a lot of people ask us about this media company. It must be great for you guys because Trump has given you great ratings and we're in this era now where a liberal media company can be successful because of Trump. And that's what happens. And the same thing happened when Obama was president and a bunch of conservative media companies fared very well. But before Trump was president, Lovett and Tommy and me would look at cable news and we'd say, this model of political journalism is broken. This is before Trump became president because it is neither informative nor entertaining. It is sensational. It treats important issues in a trivial way. It obsesses over trivial stuff. Again, this is not a critique of 
journalism. I think there's outstanding journalism out there. I think even on cable news, Jake Tapper is, you know, outstanding journalist. But the punditry, what you see in the eight cable and the eight boxes on mm-hmm. cable news is, you know, it's people speaking a dead language. And there is a younger generation, people in their teens, in their 20s, in their 30s, who are not going to watch cable news ever. So there's a hole there. There's a space in political media for a media company that, whether it's left or right, forget about ideology, forget about partisanship, just speaks to people the way that you and I would talk to each other if we were sitting at a restaurant or sitting at a bar. That problem of the, the lack of authenticity, that's a huge problem in politics, and people have recognized that, and we can talk about you know, why Trump won, Barack Obama, and stuff like that, but it's also a problem in media, and I don't think people have focused on that enough. And so, Trump aside, we're trying to be a new media company where we can reach people in an informative and entertaining manner that a lot of other media companies do not. And I think podcasts even though we fell into it and didn't set out to be a bunch of podcast hosts, Mm -hmm. podcasts give you sort of the time and the space to have those nuanced, subtle conversations that you don't get to have when you're on a two-minute cable hit. Completely agree. And do you believe, obviously, a much different medium, a text-driven medium, do you believe that HuffPost did that originally, you know, back in 08, where they were sort of a voice different than all the traditional media brands? They were, and they opened up that platform to, you know, a bunch of different bloggers and guest bloggers and different kinds of voices, and they were something different back then, you know? Is there any big media company out there that you feel like you admire, that you think, wow, I could grow up and be that? I mean, you guys did a great job on Stephen Colbert's show back in the spring. Did you walk off that show and think, we could be Stephen Colbert or we should be Stephen Colbert? <laughs> I would not think that. No. Like I said, I think Stuart with The Daily Show, I think what John Oliver does, I yep. think what Sam B does. Again, those hosts are all focused on the comedy side, and they're going to be way heavier on comedy than we ever are. You know, you'd see all those polls and young people would say, oh, they get their primary source of news is The Daily Show. And that would always surprise John and people on The Daily Show because they'd say, well, we don't think we're a serious news organization. But I think that we could get people who are serious, you know, and know politics and know government, but also have some fun with it and reach out to people in new and entertaining ways. That's what we're hoping to do here. Okay, last question. Sure. Do you really believe Hillary lost because she did not come on your podcast? (laughs) (laughs) I certainly do not. I certainly do not. We hope to talk to her soon. Awesome. Thank you, John, and best of luck with the team. Thanks, Betsy. Appreciate it. Okay, before we go, let's see how you did on Jeremy's quiz question. Over to you, Jeremy. What percent of monthly podcast consumers listen to more than half of a podcast episode once they've started one? A, 86%, B, 62%, C, 41%, or D, 19%? And the answer is A, 86%. By and large, podcast listeners are loyal and committed to hearing out most of an episode. Only 3% of monthly podcast consumers listen to just the beginning of the podcast, and only 11% listen to less than half, but more than the beginning. I hope you enjoyed our show today. If you want to check out any prior episodes, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Feel free to leave a review at iTunes as it helps people find the show. 
You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and now Facebook at KindredCast for behind the scenes photos and info. Keep listening and see you next time. Audiation.